to the Raptor Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. A reminder, we're streaming live on Sportsnet's YouTube channel and airing live on Sportsnet 360, Monday to Friday from 2 to 3 p.m. Make sure you find the Raptor Show wherever you listen to podcasts. Subscribe, rate, review the show. I'm your host, Wim Lou, and today in a reunion, uh, I'm joined by Jessica Sharo and Joe Wolfon of the Scores Pound the Rock podcast. What's up, guys? Doing well, man. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm always happy to have you guys in this studio. You know, people know that uh, Pound the Rock was the three of us. We started it in, I think, what, 2018? 2019? Yeah, tw- 2018 playoffs, I think. 2018 playoffs. And then 2018-19 was the first full season Wolfon and I did it. Right. Yeah, man. Always great to have the uh, the original PTR trio back yeah. together. The, so. the only thing missing is that Alex is actually sitting behind the glass <laughs> instead of just chilling in the room with us, but... Yeah, he, he's a fan, yeah. and and now he's uh, finessed his way into co-hosting and, and producing. Um, yeah, no, I just remember some very uh, some very engaging Pound the Rock episodes. A lot of uh, Ben Simmons trade discussions, which I guess ultimately did come to a fruition eventually. Yeah, uh, uh, not much has changed really. Because I guess so. Yeah, a few years ago on Pound the Rock, we talked about Ben Simmons' fraudulent on-court behavior and Kyrie Irving's fraudulent off-court behavior. So I guess nothing has right. changed in the four years since we started that show. Yeah. We also had the uh, the episode where uh, Kawhi was traded to the Raptors. Right. And you guys did an emergency podcast. Um, and I was the producer at the time. Unfortunately, I was in Algonquin Park. So I couldn't help you guys produce. So there was a lot of frantic, like, driving around to, like, various places that might have, like, a speck of internet. So I can email you guys the intro and the outro music. We also, uh, we had a few shows like that. Like, I was on the road in Houston when the Gasol yep. trade went down. That was and the I last did that. I did. I did that, like, remotely while you guys were doing trade deadline stuff. Yeah, yeah, someone was, like, driving on the highway, and we recorded an episode when LeBron signed with the Lakers, too. I remember. I think that was me. I wow. think that was me. Yeah. Good times. Point is, we were all extremely committed to the show. <laughs> yes. And it continues. It continues, man. I still... Uh, I love hearing the horns and stuff like that in, in the intro music. Anyway, so listen, I was um, obviously following along and, and listening to the latest episode of Pound the Rock. You got this great discussion about um, who are the second-tier teams in the Eastern Conference. I think we can all agree that the Bucks are firmly ahead. Um, they've, they've dropped a couple of games, but realistically, the Bucks are, you know, a championship favorites and stuff like that. Um, you guys had in the second tier of the Eastern Conference uh, the Celtics, the Cavaliers, and the Raptors. And then you guys give your reasons for each, and I'm probably going to ask you guys to repeat them here. But um, I'm I'm, ha- I'm really happy to hear the Raptors were in it. But I'm also kind of like, if there's one team in that Tier 2 that's closer to Tier 3, I'd probably pick the Raptors. So, um, Wolfon, we'll start with you. Um, what have you seen from... I mean, I think the Celtics is more self-explanatory. They're, they're a really good team, and obviously they, they made the finals last year. What have you seen from the new look Cavaliers that sort of thrust them into the second tier of the Eastern Conference so far? I mean, this is a team that we saw last year could be absolutely elite defensively. Like, their front court uh, with Mobley and Jared Allen, both of those guys can protect the hell out of the rim, but they can also play out on the perimeter. They're able to cover for each other. So, it, usually it's going to be Mobley, the guy who's playing further away from the basket. But point is that, like, having two guys like that just allows you to be extremely scheme versatile. Like, if you want to switch one of those guys out, you can switch them out and still trust that you have one of them uh, on the back line to protect the basket. If you want to, you know, play a zone where you're keeping both of them on the back line, you can even, like, they'll play a zone sometimes where Mobley is out there, like, he's one of the two in a 2-3. Hmm. Um, you know, they can hard hedge and recover. Like, there's just a lot of different things that they allow you to do. 
So we know that they have the capability to be an elite defensive team. Offense was where they really struggled last year. They go out in the offseason and get, you know, one of the premier offensive engines in basketball who proved, obviously, that he could keep them afloat and then some with Darius Garland out. And Garland was a guy, I mean, he carried their offense yes. last year. Yeah. Uh, one of the most gifted playmakers in basketball, along with being just like an unbelievable shooter off of the dribble or off of the catch. So Mitchell steps in, carries the offense when Garland's out, and Garland comes back, and then you see how well those two guys can play off of each other, where I think they're both great on the ball. They're both great off of the ball, too. Mm -hmm. And in a very short amount of time, I think they figured out how to play really effectively together. But, I mean, the real benefit, I think, is you're always just going to have one of them on the floor at all times. Like right, last right. year, there's no drop off. Their offense completely cratered when Garland hit the bench. And now when he hits the bench, you've got Donovan Mitchell there to pick up the slack. Yeah. Um, it's, I guess it makes a lot of sense. And I actually want to have a bigger discussion about Donovan Mitchell as well. Um, but we'll get to that in a second. But um, yeah, I mean, when you assess sort of the, the second tier, like Cash, the Raptors making it into the second tier for you guys, you know, that's, that's impressive because you have teams like Miami out there. Uh, obviously, they're not doing great this season, but, uh, you know, they made it to game seven of the conference finals, and then Jimmy Butler pulled up for that shot, which I'm not mad at him for, but in retrospect, wasn't the greatest shot, but whatever. Uh, Philadelphia, who beat the Raptors in the playoffs, and then Chicago, who, you know, I mean, maybe I'm being too generous putting them in the tier three almost, but... Yeah, I, I think they're more like a... I mean, it depends how, how many tiers we've got, but I think they're more like tier four, maybe even tier five by the time. I get, it also depends how quickly they get Lonzo back. Like, if he ends up missing sure. the whole season, that that lowers their ceiling yeah. for sure. I think there is a floor there with them where they can, you know, they'll be a 500-ish team and be fine. But in terms of getting into the mix where, like, maybe they can actually win a playoff series, I, I still don't think they have enough. Right. Um, but, yeah, what, what is separating the Raptors above them? Like, what, what are the Raptors doing better than some of these teams to be in that second tier for you guys? I think, for one... And, and maybe it sounds crazy given what we've seen from Miami before, <clears throat> given the fact that Philly's got Joel Embiid back there protecting the rim. But I do think there is a different type of defensive ceiling with the Raptors than there is with those teams because the Raptors don't have any defensive weak spots, really. I mean, you can maybe haggle about Gary on his worst days, but I do think on his – like, he does enough, even though he gambles sometimes, I do think he does enough on the perimeter more often than not that he's not hes not the kind of weak spot you would usually assume. Like, most teams have deplorable defenders somewhere. Even good teams have someone you can pick on. The Raptors don't really have that. Mm. And the balance uh, of that defense and the ceiling that they have defensively, and especially now, I mean, I don't know how much we want to talk about Coloco today, but especially finding that seven-footer. Yeah, he's a rookie, but the ability to now have a real you know, seven foot plus with a crazy wingspan guy protecting the rim and the freedom that allows their very gifted perimeter defenders, OG among them, to do things on the perimeter. I think on balance, they have the highest defensive ceiling of those three teams. And I think Pascal's, you know, elevation into another tier of star, especially as an offensive creator, which, I mean, we were already seeing that last year, but the ability to start the season like that this year. I know, obviously, now there's the bump in the road with his groin injury, but I do think Pascal being what he is now mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. the defensive ceiling the Raptors have actually does put them, you know, a smidge above Philly and Miami, which, again, I, people listening might think that's crazy because of the presence of Joel Embiid and what we've seen the Heat do already in the playoffs. But I do think, uh, on balance, the Raps have an edge over those teams. Yeah, I think that's where I am too, but I'm, I'm mostly asking this question because, like, it is notable that the Raptors split 
games with all these teams, right? They even lost to Brooklyn, for example, um, which in retrospect, uh, not ideal, but still. Um, know, the, the one thing I'd counter to that is like, I've said it so much too already early this season. It is going to be hard. I don't care who it is. Like, it's going to be hard for teams to sweep these mini series when the two teams playing are both good teams. Like, I don't care whether they're home and away or both at home. That's fair. Like, there, there's a big difference between playing your two home games against Philly, for example, months apart, where maybe Philly's had a home game against you in between there as well. Like, there's a big difference between that and playing them twice in three days with no travel between, where it is more like a mini playoff series. Like, it's hard to beat good teams two times in three days, Mm -hmm. right? So I do think, like, the fact that they've split with Philly both at home, you know, splitting with Miami on the road, you can argue, is actually a win, right? Like, Yeah, 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 I agree. Again, Chicago was a home home and home. Siakam didn't play the Mm -hmm. second game. Levine was back. I I don't – I'm not putting too much stock in the fact that they split and didn't sweep any of those because I think – for the most part, when two good teams get together twice in two or three nights, there's going to be splits more often than not. I would also say that I think it's very possible that over the course of the season, Philly gets their act together and jumps up into that tier. I right. think there's a chance Atlanta could jump up into that tier. I think mean, we were sort of basing it on what we've seen so far this season. I just think the Raptors have looked a lot more impressive than those other teams so far. Um, but I kind of think Miami is cooked as a contender. Mm. Like, I just think their their most important players are... I mean, Jimmy's still really, really good. Uh, and Kyle can still be really good on the right night, but the consistency isn't there with him anymore. And I think yeah. the ages of their most important players and the limitations of their young players that are kind of supposed to pick up the slack just has me worried about their ability to actually stay in that tier. Like, I think... Hero and Adebayo, like, those are the young guys for them that are supposed to, like, give them upward mobility moving forward. And, again, kind of pick up the slack when we see some decline from Jimmy and Kyle. And I just don't really think we've seen much of that. They look like the exact same players to me with the exact same limitations. Bam on offense and Hero on defense. And, like, they lose P.J. Tucker for nothing and didn't really address that spot. Right. Uh, You know, like, the power forward position is a bit of a concern for them. Backup center, I think, is a concern for them. So I, th- that just, I don't know. I, I know, like, they've proven me wrong before, but they don't register to me as a team that's going to be a serious threat in the East. And we've said that coming into the season. Yeah. Um, to me, it's just, yeah, like, I think the, the defensive ceiling with the Raptors is super high. And I, there, there are obviously some offensive limitations there. Yep. But I think their ability to paper over those limitations with their style of play, with their speed and their athleticism and their relentlessness, I, I think there's just overall a little bit more two-way balance there with them than there is with a team like Philadelphia, a team like Chicago, even though Chicago somehow is like a top-five defense right now. Yeah, that doesn't feel right. They just look very, like, gettable. Like, you can go at Vucevic, go at DeMar, yeah. Zach Levine's not healthy. Yeah, it is nuts, though, how much of a team impact Alex Crusoe can have on a defense yeah, as he's a guard. Insane. Yeah, he's like, insane. Nuts. Was, even, even the other night, yeah. um, there were so many times that he, like him just being on Scotty Barnes, dissuaded the Raptors from getting the ball to Scotty, even though you would look at that matchup and be like, huge size mismatch, get the ball to Scotty, go at him. But yeah. there's a reason NBA teams choose not to go at Alex Caruso because he's a really good defender. And I think... The key to that Chicago defense is his presence. Just like last season, they had a very surprisingly decent, not even decent, good defense. And then when Caruso went down, they slid 
to what bottom 10 on that end. Yeah. So I, I, I definitely think his impact is something to behold and something that flies under the radar, frankly, for mm-hmm. sure. And I think like he, he doesn't really play enough minutes. I don't think to be in consideration just because of his offensive limitations, but if he were playing like seven or eight more minutes a game, I think he would have a genuine case to be in the defensive player of the year conversation. Cause to be a guard who is raising the floor for your team's defense that much is unbelievably yeah. hard to do. Right. And he does it, you know, starting alongside three minus defenders. That's crazy. Yeah. 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 Well, Lakers essentially chose Kendrick Nunn over him, though. Oh, boy. What are the Lakers now? Two and eight? Yeah. I feel like it's so sad. I mean, whatever. I get, we'll get to this later. But Knicks West, baby. Knicks West. So the New York Knicks with palm trees is what the Los Angeles <laughs> Lakers are. They're like, oh, the reports are like, AD might be available. I'm like, I hope so. Like, <laughs> like I would be super married to anybody here, to be honest. Uh but uh, I guess, yeah, when Westbrook is like the positive storyline now for the yeah. season, it's, uh, it's a little tough. Um, okay, yeah, so, my, you know, I'm thinking about the, the Raptors and the, and the tiers. And, and most importantly, I think, you know, Cleveland making that jump into that second tier has really got me thinking. And obviously, they've been really successful this year. And it's like, wait, hold on. So didn't, didn't, didn't the Raptors also show some interest in Donovan Mitchell? And I think I want to kind of come back to this because, you know, full disclosure, like when the Raptors were involved and, you know, this is what Sham said on July 25th, uh, along with New York, several other teams have expressed interest to the Jazz when it comes to Mitchell, such as Washington, Miami, Toronto, Charlotte, Sacramento, and Atlanta, according to sources. Interesting that Cleveland wasn't in that mix of uh, half the, of the Eastern Conference. But in any case, the Raptors did show some cursory level of interest. And of course, you know, with all Raptors topics, this, this show will cover on it. And I kind of just kind of just brushed it off. I'm like, yeah, I don't know. The big prize is KD right now. But I'm not really trying to hear about Donovan Mitchell. And then you see this happen and you see Mitchell right now averaging 31 points, four rebounds, six assists on 52% shooting from the field, 45% from three, 86% uh, from the free throw line. He's one of the most efficient one-on-one players in the league. He's also been really good in the pick and roll kind of just being the major propelling factor behind Cleveland's, you know, they were already really good defensively. Now they're really good offensively as well. Why didn't the Raptors get in the mix for Donovan Mitchell like that? Well, for one, I mean, I don't know whether they did or didn't. Like, maybe they did, and for whatever reason, they ended up thinking the asking price was too much. I don't know. I feel like so you heard a lot more given, smoke yes, for KD than you did for and him. And given yeah. what Mitchell ended up going for, I would, you know, think it's crazy that any team thought that asking price was too much. I mean, and to your point about KD being, like, the shining... Um, gift that everyone thought he was going to be in the offseason or a goal that everyone wanted in the offseason. You know, shameless plug for the Scores YouTube channel. But yeah. I, I did a video last summer uh, for our Unfiltered series about how when you looked at the asking price, the reported asking price for Kevin Durant versus the reported asking price for Donovan Mitchell, when you looked at where each player was in their careers, took everything into account, that I made the argument that trading for Donovan Mitchell would leave you better off than trading for Kevin Durant. And a lot of people disagreed with that. I got a lot of hate for it in the YouTube comments, which I guess, I mean, never read the comments. But still, the point of it was that people found it so hard to believe that trading for Donovan Mitchell was actually the better route to success. But it was because, again, like, it's not even to say that he's better than Kevin Durant right now. But even though I think that is an argument to be had, given the way the season started, it's more so when you take everything into account, like what you would have had to gut your team, the level you would have had to gut your team, team to to get Kevin Durant versus the price Mitchell ended up being available for again like we're talking about a guy that was at the time 25 26 when the trade rumors first started in the middle of his 20s a all-star player a superstar level offensive player in his mid-20s with multiple years left of team control like do you know how insanely rare it is for a guy like that to be available it's rare enough for a guy like kd to be available with multiple years left of team control but trading for kevin durant in addition to gutting your team also would have meant 
being willing to pay him approximately $197 million for his age 34 to 37 seasons. Big difference mm-hmm. between what you were getting there and what you were getting with Mitchell. I think it's nuts, whether it was the Raptors or any other team, I think it's absolutely nuts if anyone thought the asking price for him was too high when he ends up going from Markkanen, although I know I know Markkanen's playing well oh, in Utah, man. but still, man. to go for what Markkanen was at the time, Sexton, uh, the guy that uh, Cleveland drafted with their first-round pick this past Ochoa year, Baji, right? yeah. and then two picks and three pick swaps or vice versa, it is steep, but it is not too much for a player of Donovan Mitchell's caliber who is a consistent carrier and Wolfon's talked about this a lot on our podcast as well, the engine of consistently elite offenses. Yeah, so to answer the question, I guess, of why didn't they get into that mix, I mean, maybe they watched the playoffs last year and That's fair. decided you- a player that defensively inept or at least defensively apathetic just doesn't fit the vision. I... Cash and I both kind of, I think, campaigned for them to make a good faith effort to go after him. I don't know what the package would have been, what, like what that would have looked like from the Raptors' side, because you really have no idea how other teams around the league are going to value. Sure, sure. You know, so, like... But, I mean, look, this is what, this is what the Cavs ultimately paid. Colin Sexton, who yeah. was a restricted free agent, right? Uh, Laurie Markin, who was under contract. Uh, Ochai Obagi, who I think was 16th pick. And then three unprotected first-round picks to the Jazz. The Raptors had enough players on their team that you have to think, like, let's say OG, Gary, and three picks. Like, it wasn't in a situation where you need to give up Pascal. You wouldn't have given up Fred. And you probably wouldn't have, you wouldn't have given up Barnes because if it would have been one of those things where it's like, give us Barnes or, or, or nothing else. It's like, well, they would have gotten Mobley out of Cleveland then. Because exactly. they're probably equivalent of value. So it did seem like one of those deals where, for KD, you probably have to give up everything. This was like 80% of everything. Um... It was doable. I, I think it's like within the the Raptors had the means to get it done. Yeah, and I think, like, I mean, you can make arguments on either side of it. I would have been excited for them to have gotten him because I think as much as, yeah, maybe he doesn't fit the vision of what they're seemingly building to a T, but you also have to be adaptable, right? Like, when a player like that becomes available, you can't just say, well, no, he's not, you know, this super long uh you know, defensive menace, and maybe we're going to have to change some things about how we play. But you could also look at him and say, well, this guy is really, really good at pretty much everything that we're not good at. Yeah. Individual shot creation, pick and roll ball handling, pull up shooting. I mean, and I think you can see some maybe downstream effects of that where, yeah, you probably have to change the way that you defend. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. Like right now, I feel a little bit like the Raptors are boxed into playing this hyper-aggressive defensive style, having to gamble for steals because they need to generate turnovers to fuel their transition offense because their half-court offense is very bad. And so maybe you have a Donovan Mitchell-type offensive creator and you no longer feel compelled to have to play like that all the time. I know they would probably still want to play aggressive ball-pressuring defense because as Nick Nurse has said on this show before. That's just his coaching philosophy. He believes that that's how you should play defense. Mm-hmm. But I think you would ne- you would have to do it like, or you would be able to do it a little bit more selectively and not out of necessity in the same way that they're doing it now. So there's a lot of different ways to look at this. And I, I don't know, maybe they, they took all this into consideration. Maybe they made a genuine offer and the, the Jazz just said no because they saw this breakout coming from Lowry Markinen. But... Mm-hmm. Maybe they uh, watched Eurobasket, bro. He was yeah. he was doing this for Finland. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
So I don't know. There's a lot of different uh, things, I guess, that they could have considered. But I, I think it would have been very worthwhile to go after him for, for all of those reasons. Yeah, I mean, we talk about Donovan Mitchell being the engine of consistently elite offenses. For all of the improvements that we've seen from the Raptors and for all of the reasons we even have them in Tier 2 in the East, yep. you know where they rank still in half-court efficiency? I think 27th. 26th, oh, I think, yeah. as of this morning. So bottom five. As, mm. as good as they've been, as improved as they look, as improved as Pascal Siakam's been. Now, granted, I guess you can make the argument some of that has to do with the fact Siakam and Fred haven't played together enough because they've both been hurt and in mm. and out of the lineup, but still. You should be better than 26th in half-court efficiency. Yeah, that's and, like tanking territory. Like, the Houston Rockets are probably right. in that area. And you know? Donovan Mitchell is a one-man wrecking crew in those situations. Like, you have Donovan Mitchell. I don't care who the four guys around him are. You're going to be better than 26th in half-court efficiency. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I do. I mean, it's not like it would have been a complete slam dunk because I think you would have thought about in the offseason priorities were, okay, how do we get Barnes more involved offensively so you can take the next step, right? You bring in a guy that's, I think, what Mitchell's usage is probably 30% right now. It's probably been historically between 28 and 30%. Takes a lot of shots away from other guys. Um, you know, Pascal's making this leap. You know, Fred, obviously, he's already taken a step back. Probably would have taken an even bigger step back with Mitchell. But again, these are things that, like, these are good problems. Right. You have a lot of contributors on offense at that point. A little bit more scoring. You have a, I think I have a guard for the Raptors who can drive all the way downhill and score at the brim, which uh, hasn't happened since Demar. Um, he, yeah, and, I mean, <laughs> and I think there are ways you can get creative too. Like if if they had brought in a player like Mitchell, say, yeah, does that take away from Scotty's usage and touches? For sure, it does. But you can get creative. Maybe that means Scotty runs the bench lineups. Like there are ways that you can jig, like rejig the rotation mm -hmm, yeah. um, and the touches in a way so that guys still get their opportunities. Right? Like, yeah. You use Scotty as a role man. I mean, like that's he has sure. a great skill set to be an excellent short roller, right? Like between the playmaking, the push shot, um, and the Raptors don't really use him that way because they kind of can't because they don't have. I mean, like Fred has has pull up gravity, but like you mentioned with Mitchell, like there's a different element of like downhill explosiveness and like ability to get all the way to the basket that Fred doesn't really bring you. Yeah, he'll dunk on you. And <laughs> sometimes hoop is very simple. He will dunk on you. You gotta have to really respect that. Whereas right. Fred's gonna. So you, you, know. you can to Cash's point. I think you can think about what that might unlock. Right, like suddenly, hey, maybe that's that's a role that you see Scotty Barnes playing a lot more often, where you're, right. you're having him actually be a ball screener, hmm. and you're unlocking his short roll skill set in a way that you're not really doing right now. Um, and that's like. I'm not in any way doubting that this is like the kind of creative thinking that the Raptors front office isn't doing. I'm sure they're like constantly considering all of this stuff. Um, but I think more in terms of just saying, oh, well, like Donovan Mitchell's a small guard who doesn't really defend all that well, so he doesn't fit the vision, is a very narrow-minded way of looking at something like that um, from a fan's perspective. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it would have been a bit of a small backcourt. And I think that with Cleveland, they're more willing to do a small backcourt because it's not like Garland's any bigger than Fred. Um, but they're more willing to do it because they have those two elite rim protectors in combination. And to be honest with Mitchell, he's been very blessed. I mean, I don't think he's ever played without rim protection behind him. You know, like to go from Gobert to then, you know, yeah. Mount Mobley is what's that nickname? I mean, they have a, I think it's a, is that uh, what they call they them? Have, in they Cleveland? have some sort of uh, nickname in there for him, but something like that for the, for the two of them with Allen and, yeah. and, and Mobley. Like you, you do see, I think they, they call him Frobley, right? Frobley. Yeah. You know, I kind of like that. That's not bad. 
It's better. You know what? Cleveland had some pretty good nicknames. Shout out to Sexland. I was gonna say yeah. it's better than Sexland. R.I.P. Sexland. Yeah, seriously. Although there's a new nickname for the, the a new duo in in, uh, in Utah as well, but I'm gonna just tell you that during the break, um, <laughs> involving a former Toronto Raptor. Um, but yeah, no, seriously. Like I think what Mitchell work as well defensively in Toronto, given the fact that they don't have the same kind of rim protectors. I mean, with all due respect to Christian Coloco, it's it's not uh, it's 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 no frobly. Right. Well, I mean, that's where you kind of get into talking about downstream effects again, where. Okay, so you make that move, and then maybe you need to make a subsequent move to shore up the back line of your defense because you're going to be a little bit more porous at the point of attack. Um, And, yeah, so if that had led to them also trying to swing a trade for Jakob Pertl, I wouldn't complain about it. But, but yeah, there's a lot, obviously, to consider when you're thinking about making a move of that magnitude. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, And I, I I can understand the reasons why they might have shied away from it. I think the Raptors also liked their team. It was like... You know, like, they, yeah. they had such a good start last year to this, like, rebuild thing, and it's like, they just kind of want to see it go one more year. And I get it. It wasn't like Donald Mitchell was, like, playing this well right. last season. Although Offensively, he was. I mean, I think that there was more defensive concern about him, especially sure. in the playoffs, yeah. that I think his effort on that end has kind of quelled some of that concern to start the year. But I also think it's like, you know, we do spend so much time talking about the deficiencies with the Raps or maybe why they can't quite compete for a title yet or why they should have traded for Donovan Mitchell. I do think it's important to remember, like, all that being said, they're right there with Cleveland, oh, with, yeah. the, with the team that well, did the just trade team. for Donovan Mitchell, right? Like, yeah. so they're by no means in a bad spot, to your point, too, about them liking the way the rebuild is going right now. I completely understand why they do, because they have been able to blend these kind of two, I wouldn't even call them separate timelines, because it's not like Fred and Pascal are old by any means, but they've been able to blend these two somewhat different timelines mm-hmm. yeah. of guys that are very ready to win now, and guys like, you know, a, a Scotty coming up who will take the franchise into a next era when those guys are gone. But that is very much still part of the plans with those guys right now. It's it's hard to do that, you know, win and develop. They've managed to do it. So is it disappointing that Donovan Mitchell ended up on a conference rival? For sure. But it's also somewhat impressive that that conference rival is barely better than the Raptors right now, if at all, to be right. honest. And that's the thing, too. that They have gone all in. Um, Cleveland has, as have most teams in the top half of the Eastern Conference. The Raptors are still the one team that has, like, bullets left in the chamber kind of thing. You know, you have contracts on the team that you can move. You have all your picks moving forward. Like, you know, there is there is an advantage there. But, um, you know, this this discussion about Frobley and, and Cleveland also got me thinking about another player who might be in the defensive player of the year race. See, this is, oh, yeah. a, it's called a transition. Um, <laughs> a hard one. The radio biz. A hard transition here. No, but seriously, I was, again, I was listening to the pod and you guys were, you guys were talking about OG and Obi and how great he's been defensively. And, and Wolfon, you said that, you know, he has a legitimate case so far based on what he's played uh, as a defensive player of the year candidate. And then you go on like NBA.com and they put up those, like, I guess they used to do just the MVP ladder, but they do defensive player of the year ladder now. But um, I think he was third OG on that list behind like Marcus Smart and Giannis, who are both guys who have won it before. So, yeah, I mean, more fun. I mean, walk us through the OG and OB defensive player of your case. Um, so, wh- yeah, what I was saying to Cash on the podcast, we I, I don't need to tell the listeners that OG is an amazing defender, right? Oh, but like, they love to hear it, though. You, you understand? This is a propaganda program. Please, please <laughs> indulge. All right. So this is Raptor State Media. <laughs> If we're talking about, like, why he... I mean, I think you could argue that he should have been in the defensive player of the year conversation in seasons past. Like, 2019-20, to me, was before this season, like, his best defensive season. And for him to have not even made an all-defensive team that year... Well, there was just too many great defenders, Wolfon. You don't understand. I I don't want to What, are you going to pick all the Raptors for (laughs) defensive player or none of them? Clearly none. Yeah. Um, So, 
it, it's not that he didn't necessarily have a case in the past, but I do think he's leveled up a little bit this season. And I think, interestingly, like part of maybe why he hasn't gotten his due as a defensive player over the last couple of years is because the Raptors' defensive scheme doesn't really showcase the thing that he does best. Like, he, his forte is being a man-to-man defender and maybe being better than anybody else in the NBA at doing that. And, like, Nick Nurse's Raptors don't really like to let anybody defend one-on-one, right? So it's... Okay, yeah. And this is not to say that OG's not a good team defender, you know, by any oh, means. But, but I think it's fair to say, like, that's not necessarily his specialty. And so the Raptors scheme over the last few years has kind of been almost... Uh, you know, preventing him from accessing the thing that he does best. I think, again, I think he's been a good team defender in the past. I think he's become a great team defender this season where, I mean, you see the steal numbers, yeah, right? leading the league. And in the past, like, he would rack up, like, you know, I think he, he's probably topped out at like one and a half per game. That's, probably, yeah. Somewhere. And now, now he's up over three. So, see, like, the first, in the... No one's averaged three in a, three in a season uh, in 32 years, I think. Really? Yeah. Didn't Larry Hughes do it like sometime? He might not have qualified. Oh wow, what a what a deep cut. He might man. not have qualified. You look that up while I make this point. Anyway, <laughs> make sure, make sure you filter for qualified players, though. Oh, okay, all right. Uh, okay, so in the past, like the vast majority of OG's steals would uh-huh. be, he was picking off those point to wing passes, right? Like yep. shooting the gap, coming off a pin down, and and jumping those, and like those are really valuable steals. Like the steals that happen at the top of the floor are so valuable because they're that they're that much more likely to lead to runouts the other way, and like pick sixes. Um, and he's still doing that a bunch, but I think what we're seeing him do more of is like the kind of low man work uh, along the baseline where. Um, like he's getting steals and blocks as like you know with like backline rotations essentially in a way that I don't think he was really doing in the past. Like the one mm. that really sticks out in my mind is in the Dallas game where he was guarding Spencer Dinwiddie in the corner, who's not like a n- not dangerous shooter, sure, um, but he is like helping way off. He's got basically both feet in the paint, um, and Doncic is running a pick and roll with I think uh, Dwight Powell and. So I think part of that is he trusts his speed and his length and his ability to make that closeout if it comes to that. Part of it also is, like, scheme. And we know, like, the Raptors, if there's a shot they're willing to give up, it's the corner three. They're basically oh, yeah. giving up the highest rate of corner threes in NBA history right now. Well, when now. you double at the 35-foot uh, mark uh, away from your hoop, you're probably going to give up some corner threes where exactly. passes usually end up. Um, but it, Luca does, like, a very Luca thing, which is he gathers, like, just below the free throw line, looks directly at Dinwiddie in the corner before throwing the lob up to Powell. Mm-hmm. And OG is, like, completely unmoved by this, right? Like, he doesn't take a false As step. As he is in- by most things. <laughs> exactly. Um, he doesn't take a step in that direction. He doesn't lunge. He doesn't lurch. He's, he just stays right there. Again, maybe trusting his ability. Like, if the ball goes out there, I have the speed and the length to at least make this a difficult shot. He stays where he is, and he picks off the lob. Mm. And, like, right. I, I think as as that kind of backline defender, as a low man rotator, like those are the kind of things that he's doing better than I feel like he ever has. Right. And that's leading to more defensive playmaking from him where like he's been an exceptional defender in the past, but one who almost like rather than necessarily always creating plays on defense, he's like preventing them. Like mm-hmm. his ball denial, like forcing guys to give up the ball or just forcing like top scorers to like not even 
run plays essentially because they don't want to go at him one-on-one. He's been an elite like event preventer in the past, and now he's showing that he can be an elite event creator on defense as well. Yeah, and I think a big part of it too is that the Raptors' defense is better this year. Like as, yes. as a whole, that'll help him get whether it's defensive player of the year love or all defensive team love. He should have been getting that love already, and the Raptors ended up with a good defense by the end of the year last year. But to start last season, if you remember, their defense wasn't good, and mm. this year they've at least started the season with their defensive performance tracking with their defensive potential right it's caught mm-hmm. up whereas like to start last year it was all about what they could be defensively and they weren't actually getting it done the first month yeah. or so and so the fact that they've come out the gates defending like this as a team with him doing what he usually does and then some it, that's obviously going to bolster his case right if you're talking about him being the best defensive player in the league or one of the four best defensive forwards which he obviously is yeah and then okay on top of that like i mentioned the, like the help stuff that's improved but I also think he's just been straight up more aggressive on the ball. Yes. Which, yeah. yeah. And like, I don't know if that's him deciding to do that or like the organizational edict that like, no, we need to create as many turnovers <laughs> as possible so we can get out and run. But he's like, he's swiping at like constantly, right? Yeah, like, yeah. and you see that reflected in his foul rate, which I, I'm pretty sure is the highest of his career right now. So there are like, some downsides to that. Yeah, the three point six right now per game. Uh, previous high was two point seven. Yeah, so he he's taking more risks and he's getting more aggressive with his hands when when he's guarding on the ball, and that's led to just a lot more on ball steals for him, as well. So, I think he's just doing it in every way. Like he's doing it on the ball, he's doing it off the ball, he's doing it at the top of the floor, he's doing it at the bottom of the floor. Like he has become like a, just an all encompassing extremely versatile defender who can succeed in like pretty much any context. You know, I, I'm thinking about it from the Raptors perspective and it's been interesting to me to hear OG's teammates openly say that like, you know what, you have this kind of potential to be defensive player of the year. It almost makes me think that like, you know, when you think about last season and the rhythm of it, OG was featured a lot offensively when Pascal was out, then he came back in uh, then he got banged up. Then Scotty really emerged. And then it was like, OG, oh, some nights will be the fifth option, right? And then you see some reports in the offseason. I mean, whatever. OG's oh, distanced himself from the reports. He just says in his classic way, he's like, oh, I can't control this. I'm like, I don't know. You can. You could just tweet out something, but I, whatever. I guess not. Um, but, you know, he's distanced himself. But I mean, the reports were that he wanted a bigger role and that other teams were interested in him, um, all this kind of stuff. And ultimately, he stays, right? And to be honest, his role offensively doesn't even look that much more improved. And you know what? I, I'm almost okay with that because I just don't want to see turnovers um, on drives every fifth possession. But also at the same time, it's like it seems like the team has really gotten into buy into this idea that like, hey, you want the next? You're probably thinking about the next deal like 99% of NBA players, right? Basically, everyone except Udonis has them. I don't think UD's thinking about the next deal, um, but because he knows it's going to be there. <laughs> I guess so. Yeah. yeah exactly. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, he's. Uh, you know, but how do you get there? Well, if you win defensive player of the year, pretty much every defensive player of the year is going to make something really, really nice, you know, like close-ish to the max, things like that. I guess smart would probably be the exception. Well, uh, interesting thing, like, and again, I'm obviously not, OG wouldn't get this kind of money, but the interesting thing, because everything is timing in this industry, is that, you know, he's a free agent in 2024, correct? Uh, yes, he can opt out, yeah. Right, after so. After next season. Like, I mean, we're having this conversation about him winning Defensive Player of the Year right now. I know it's early. But still, if this was a year from now when we're having this conversation and he were to win Defensive Player of the Year in the year immediately 
preceding him entering free agency as a guy with, at that point, seven-plus years of service. And he the would, cap jumping? He would technically, at that point, be super max eligible of, like, 35% of the cap. Again, right, I'm of not, course, he's not going to make that. Of course, I'm not saying, but the point is, is like, it's kind of nuts that we're even having that conversation with OG. Like, that he could be hitting qualifiers to get paid, paid. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Uh, but in terms of the offense, that the thing I'd say is, I'm fine with it like you are because, as I've said before, actually, I think I said it the last time I was on with Alex, is that everyone was, like, wanting this jump from OG offensively or him to get more touches and him to, you know, be a second option off or whatever it was. And I've been saying the whole time, it's like, man, if he is what he is defensively and hits his ceiling defensively, which this year he's doing, while just being a, continuing to be a good three-point shooter and a guy who, like, when need be or when the situation calls for it, when there's a mismatch, you can throw the ball down to him, and he can play bully ball Mm. because he often has a strength mismatch. If he is all those things, that is more than okay. That makes him one of the better players in the league. That makes him a well above average. Like, if you're talking being one of, if not the best defensive player in the league, the best on-ball defender in the league, a good three-point shooter, and someone who can at least bully a mismatch on offense, at that point, it's like, that's fine. Like, what more do you want? Not everyone can be a straight-up offensive star, and OG's not built to be one, and that's okay. Like, what he is right now is really darn good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and and some of that is like you can get your own offense, you know, when you when you mug people at half court and then run yeah. it in for dunks. Yeah. Like that's yeah. what we saw in that in, on Sunday's win against Chicago was you know, it was a close game and then OG stole the ball off Demar twice and those were huge momentum shifting plays and also most importantly the Raptors were able to build a cushion that the the you know the Bulls can overcome. You can make the argument that's the Raptors team motto like to a man other than one or two guys who can really consistently create for themselves. <laughs> you can, you can argue that their defense. motto is, hey, you know, it's hard to be an offensive star, but if we steal the ball and go back the other way in transition, it's easier to score. Yeah, and I, I mean, look, that's the thing. It's like a steal is kind of the most valuable play in basketball, right? Because sure, if yeah, you look yeah. at, if you, like the Raptors right now are scoring 1.5 points per possession off a of live ball turnovers. Yeah. So you're not only taking a possession away from your opponent, right? but that you're then turning it into like a 1.5 point per possession proposition going the other way. And so like, that's basically, I mean, like what is the average offensive possession like one, produce? Maybe. That's yeah. a, that's a two and a half point swing, you yeah. know? And like, obviously there, like we talk about, you know, like the fouling and then gambling and missing and getting out of position and how that can compromise your defense. So it's like, you have Coloco back there now. You could do a little bit more. Yeah. The point is, yeah, there, it's not like a, a risk-free proposition to just try and steal the ball all the time. But especially with OG, I mean, he's just able to recover and get back into a play and still impact that play after potentially like whiffing on a gamble in a way that somebody like, you know, say Gary Trent Jr. is not. I, I think that's part of what makes him such a special defender is like he can take risks, he can gamble, mm-hmm. and still not really get burned for it. Yeah. Um, just to wrap up this conversation, Larry Hughes, average 2.9. Ah, no, no one's 2.9. Av- no qualified player has averaged three steals per game in a season since, the, I think it's like 91. And I'm assuming it was probably Rodman. Really? Maybe? Or no, I Rodman, I guess, was be Maybe Gary Payne? A- MJ, MJ did it in the 80s, for sure. Okay, so maybe it was MJ in 91. But it's been, I, I think what I saw was like it's been 32 years. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, that no, was a great season for Larry Hughes. Um, averaged 22 points, 6.3 rebounds. 4.7 assists, 2.9 steals on a team for the Wizards that won 47 games along with uh, Gilbert Arenas and uh, Anton Jameson. 
those are pretty good pretty good teams until yeah, but, um you know Gilbert did what he did. Yeah, but those Wizards teams were always kind of paper tigers. And also they oh, yeah. had, they had oh, a lot yeah. of injury issues like talk about fraud alert. If we were doing pound the rock in the late 20 2000 like 2007 8 type of time, uh-huh. we would have been uh labeling the frauds. Putting that, the fraud what, label wow. on those. Was that still a Grunfeld years. era? That no, was still Grunfeld. That was still the Ernie <laughs> Grunfeld era. Oh man, I mean, I don't think we don't have another hour to do here because you're not gonna put some respect on Brendan Haywood. Come on, who was I think their center? Come on, Kwame Brown was still there. Yeah, no, this is the rest of the team was not great. Shout out uh, one time to Michael Ruffin as well. Every Raptor fan knows what that is. But uh, okay, look, we gotta take a break. Uh, but thank you both, Cash and Wolfar, for coming on. Check out Pound the Rock. You know, it's uh, it's close to my heart. And um, yeah, for me, I'm gonna take a quick break. When we come back, Alex will be here to do the Make or Miss segment uh, because I ran out of time with you guys. And, um, yeah, in the meantime, you'll be listening to The Raptor Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Have you checked out Bet Rivers yet? Download the Bet Rivers online casino and sportsbook app today. Get in the action this basketball season with thousands of betting options. Plus, don't forget about Bet Rivers Sportsbook award winning customer service. It's a whole new game with Bet Rivers online casino and sportsbook. Must be 19 plus, available in Ontario only. Please play responsibly. If you have questions or concerns about your gambling or someone close to you, please contact Connects Ontario at 1 866 531 2600 to speak to an advisor free of charge big opinions and in-depth conversations covering the leafs jays raptors and the nfl the jd bunkins podcast subscribe and download the show on apple spotify or wherever you get your podcasts Welcome back to the Raptor Show on the Sports on Radio Network. I'm your host, Wayne Lou. I'm joined in the second segment um, by Alex Wong, producer, co-host, all that stuff. Um, just like in, you know, the old Pound the Rock. When people, pe- diehard Pound the Rock listeners knew that you were six man off the bench. You, John Chick, YL, you know, we had, we had a bench. Chico. Was Chico ever on? John or? Mattis. He, he, does, he does hockey. Oh, okay. Yeah. Devang, he, he does soccer. Okay, yeah. Their that's names are. <laughs> uh, no, that's literally. Shout the names. To eating eating a burrito back there. I was hanging out in the first segment. Yeah, how'd you like uh, just so, being in part of the audience? Not to beg. Um, do you mind getting me a burrito after? Maybe you know before before the game. Where did he get it from? Um, from Fat Bastard Burrito. Oh, yeah. Across the street. Okay, yeah, we yeah. get that. Yeah. Okay. Um, I just want you to buy me lunch today. I don't know why. I, I got you, man. Okay. I mean, usually I get you lunch at the arena in an unspecified way. <laughs> oh, brother. Happy uh, hump day. What's going on, day. man? Okay, so, yeah. What so you need I, I from out, me? I ran out of time with uh, Cash and Wolf on for this. But, uh, you know, in the usual tradition of Pound the Rock, we, we usually finish the show with make or miss, which okay. I will read out a statement, and then you either say make so, or miss. So quick hitters. In terms of whether you agree or miss. Running out of time, brother. Okay, all right. First one, make or miss. Last year, not this season, was the Warriors' last dance. A miss. Really? Yeah, the Warriors okay. will the Warriors will get it together, and also really? they got they, they need the officials to look the other way on a very blatant foul. Oh, we'll so get they can to beat that. The Sacramento it, Kings. It man. helped me hit a three game parlay the other night. Oh, okay. Um, but you were like, yes. <laughs> yeah, I was like, that that was a make. No, I'll miss. It's uh, it's very early in the season, and the okay. Warriors, the the rookies, well, not the rookies, the young guys have been very disappointing. Their bench has been terrible. Mm-hmm. It, it seems like they made all the mistakes letting guys like Gary Payton Jr. and Otto Porter go. But it's very early. They can make a move if they want. And worst case scenario, they go to the Nick Nurse plan and just play their starters 39 minutes. I don't know, man. Those guys are old. And they've had injury histories. 
and they played a lot of postseason basketball. It's not the same. Like it's Listen, easier for Nick Nurse to do it. That's um, you that's know, a miss for me. I really like this segment though because we're gonna need to ration content coming up because the Raptors have very few games. Oh, okay. the next couple weeks. So let's definitely reuse this uh, segment. Okay, all right. I like this. Okay, miss. Well, what's next? Next statement. All right, yeah. make or miss. The Raptors dodged the bullet, not re-signing Kawhi to a five-year deal. Man, why you put me on the spot like this? I mean, it's, it, can can job. it be a four bounce, a four bounce miss? I'm just saying, Kawhi. Uh, I mean, his status is very TBD. You know what? No, no, no. I disagree with that. So that would be a the miss. The king in the north. <laughs> that okay. would that would be a miss for me because even though he's going through injuries now, the mm-hmm. Raptors would have at least won another championship and possibly have competed for a three P. Because Kawhi wasn't. Kawhi was healthy when it went when he went to the Clippers. I know the injuries is now like, you know, now he's out for an indefinite period of time, mm-hmm. but the Raptors would have repeated and that would have elevated the franchise even more. Okay. That's fair enough. Fair yeah. enough. Um, Kawhi, by the way, has not, has yet to play. Uh, oh, he's how many plays? He's played 111 games for the Clippers in four seasons. Yeah. And they don't have a championship or a conference. The Raptors would have won in the bubble and they would have been going for a okay. three-peat. You would have been happy with that. Okay, that's fair. Yes. Um, next statement. The Blazers have the best vibes in the NBA. Make. So, Jer- uh, Jeremy Grant? Jerry Grant? <laughs> oh, brother. <laughs> oh, brother. Uh, one of the Grant brothers hit a game winner, even yeah. though he traveled. Did um, I pronounce his name right? Against, no. <laughs> against the Phoenix Suns. <laughs> And then Josh Hart had, yeah, you know, yeah, shouts yeah, yeah. to your friend Josh Hart as well. That's right. Um, yes, the vibes are immaculate in Portland. I was thinking about this yesterday, actually. Like, certain teams just have that, like, team of destiny type vibe. I'm not saying they're going to go all the way to the championship. Mm. But it seems like coming off such a dark year last year with Dame's injury, the rebuild, and, like, you know, moving different parts, trading CJ McCollum. I think I think the Blazers are going to be a top six team in, in the West. And I think, you know, that's a successful season for them. Yeah, yeah. It's it's really funny because um, people Jeremy, got, Jeremy Grant? It's Jeremy Jer- Grant. Jer- yeah, He's playing okay. great. 18 points yeah. per game, um, shooting 48% from the field. Um, yeah, it's funny because the Blazers used to always be this team that would, you know, be yes. like pretty competitive in regular season, but then flame out in the playoffs, which I feel like they're destined to do again this year. They will, but, but like, like... They've reset expectations, yes. so now people are happy with getting what they used to as get. As long as there's no Dame Lillard, is Dame Lillard leaving rumors, that's a successful yeah, season. that's right. That's right. So. All right, last make or mix uh, before we get to our last segment. Uh, the Timberwolves trading for Rudy Gobert was a huge mistake. <laughs> nah, miss. It's too early, man. I saw the really? stat. So they got the worst starting lineup in the league right now. Okay, I mean, that's, that's Anthony tough, Edwards man. is calling the team soft. You can clearly see the chemistry is not there. You know, Chris Finch is a good coach. There's too much talent there. They're going to figure it out. They're going to figure it out. Okay. Man. They're right. going to figure it out. Right. But I mean, I, I would revisit this in like a year or two because if like, if they're just flaming out in the first round or they're just a play-in team, meanwhile, like Utah's collecting all these assets while being the number one seed in the West at the moment, mm. yes, then it is a huge miss. But right now, it's too early. Right. It's too early for me. There's too much talent there. You don't think they're going to get it together? I think they're going to figure out a whole new way to play. A whole new game. It's it's a whole new game. Well, speaking of which, Alex? Speaking of which, is now time for Between the Lines brought to you by Bet Rivers. It's a whole new game. All right. The Toronto Raptors are hosting the Houston Rockets tonight. They are a 10-point favorite at home. As everybody knows, Pascal Siakam remains out. Who are you taking tonight, Will, and why? Man, 10 points is a lot of points. Yeah. I mean, I think the Raptors should win this game, but 10 is... 10, 10 is at home, though? 
10 at home again against a rebuilding team. You yeah. know, this is their last home game before they go out on a mini road trip. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, you would expect, mm-hmm. you know, and we also saw last year, and I don't know how much the Rockets have improved, probably not much. Not uh, much, no. They were unable to figure out how to break a full-court press. Yes, there's a there's a video of, that I put together where <laughs> their literally, names are. there's literally <laughs> nine possessions in a row where they, well, not in a yeah. row, but sequentially where uh, so, they couldn't break a full-court press. Listen, I know, I know people might be on the fence because of Pascal's injury. You're not sure, you know, which Raptors team might show up, but I still think there's a talent discrepancy and there's just uh, an overall discrepancy between the Raptors and the Rockets. Uh, there yeah, are okay. There's a seven-point teaser option, as I always mention. So oh, okay. if you like to tease the Raptors down to minus three uh, and put them in a parlay, uh, that is that would be my recommendation. Mm, also okay. want to tell you a fun uh, fun gambling story, uh, if, if such uh, exists. Uh, it definitely exists. So the, the other night, I actually did a three-game parlay because mm. um, my friend uh, John Ng was, was really going through oh, it. Man. I believe he took the Orlando Magic, and that didn't really work out. Sorry there, John. for diapers right now. So, so I teased the Dallas Mavericks. So I teased three games uh, by five points down. So the Dallas Mavericks was minus one against the Brooklyn Nets. The Utah Jazz minus two against the Lakers without LeBron. And the Warriors minus three against the Sacramento Kings. So you you want to know how like um you know how tough it is sometimes on, on on these bets. Kevin Durant made 62 straight free throws until he missed one in the final seconds, mm. and that's how the Mavericks won. So I covered that one. And as many people saw, Kevin Herter of the Kings was going for a game tying three yeah. attempt at the buzzer, and Clay Thompson fouled him. They came out in the last two minute report and said that they missed the call. I mean, the Warriors the ended up winning by three, so I had them at minus three. So I pushed that and won my other two bets. Well, and the Utah Jazz, of course, blew out the Lakers. And, and now I have to buy you lunch. I feel like uh, it should be another way around. Well, at this point, I right? don't want to bring up the fact that you asked me if I knew who Matt Ryan was on the Lakers at the start of this oh, uh, of the Raptor show season. Right. So I think you owe me five bucks. Okay, I'll get but you I a think a burrito, burrito is probably twenty two dollars now in today's economy. Okay. Well, anyway, um, yeah. That, so I, no, anyways, take take the the lesson here is yes. I think take the Raptors. Yes. I'm confident in the Raptors minus ten. Okay. If you're not, put them in a teaser. I like Milwaukee and Memphis tonight on the road. Milwaukee's at OKC. Memphis is at San Antonio. Uh, Giannis and uh, Drew Holiday, are, I think, are downgraded to out. I still like Milwaukee. Oh, okay. I still All like right. Milwaukee. Fair enough. You got you to gotta trust the uh, you know organizational culture. Yeah. Uh, fair enough. You got to trust the tank. All right. Uh, that was Between the Lines, brought to you by Bat Rivers. It's a whole new game. And that does it for us today. I'm your host, Will Lou, and you've been listening to The Raptor Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Make sure you find The Raptor Show wherever you listen to podcasts and subscribe and please rate and review. Our show, Reminder, we're streaming live on Sportsnet's YouTube channel and airing live on Sportsnet 360, Monday to Friday from 2 to 3 p.m. Thanks once again to Joe Scacharo and Joe Wolfon. Uh, thanks to our board producer, Derek Brandeo. Shouts to Alex for stepping in for a quick 10-minute segment. Uh, thanks to Jennifer Rolnick for helping us with the YouTube stream. And uh, we'll be back tomorrow.